Amen. Thank you for that. My title for us today is, What is the Value of Satisfaction? What is the value of satisfaction? Let me begin by saying this. We are people, and we're living in the midst of people who can't or won't be satisfied. We don't have, but we want And what we do have, we want more of. And once we've gotten it, we can't be satisfied. There doesn't seem to be a limit that will satiate our appetite for what we constitute to be more, enough, or satisfactory. In the New Testament, James addresses this issue when he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but do not receive, because you ask wrongly, in order to spend it on your passions. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, similarly, the Apostle Paul says this, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a church, which is to say that as Christians who believe and say they believe in Christ, and therefore, by implication, what he taught and what he commanded, those things like sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness ought not be named among us because, say amen if you're listening, Christians aren't supposed to be living lives that look like the lives of those living in the world. We're supposed to look different and sound different and, yes, walk different. The issue is not one of clothing. The issue is not one of do you own or don't you own this or that. The issue is morals. What do you worship? Who do you worship? What is the distinguishing marker in your life? Church, today, we're looking at the Tenth Commandment which forbids covetousness, something that is continually combated in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the prophets of old to the apostles of new, because God's word is simple in its command. Do not be a covetous people. Do not be a covetous people. Let me begin with our first point this morning. It's this. What is covetousness? What is covetousness? If you look back at the text, as I read with my eyes, you can read, or I read aloud, you can read with your eyes, verse 21 of Deuteronomy 5. And you shall not, what's the command? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is your neighbor's, you shall not covet. That's how it begins. And therefore, in order for us to have a correct understanding of the command that is being given to us, the sin that is being forbidden, we need to understand the sin. Amen? So let me share a few thoughts with you. First, I want you to note that when the commandment appears, it appears at the conclusion of the Ten Commandments. 
You shall not covet appears, not first or fifth, but last. It is the tenth of the Ten Commandments. It's as if to say after everything that once we settle our identity with God, and who we are as a result of who he is. And once we have our schedule with the Sabbath and our priorities straight with not committing murder, not committing adultery, and of course, the heart of the matter on these issues, finally, we are to be so satisfied that we don't covet either. As people of faith, so many of the sins that plague us, so many of the sins that we entertain, would be put to death by our satisfaction in Christ and what he's done for us. And the example that he's provided for us in his life and his ministry. I don't think that this was tagged on as an afterthought. I think that this command is put at the end of the Ten Commandments as a wrap-up, if you will. Secondly, I want you to note the breadth of the command. The breadth of the command. Again, if you'll read it with your eyes as I read it aloud, it says, And you, that's you, shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. We are commanded by this 10th commandment, the 10th of 10, not to covet three things. How many things? Three things. People, property, or possessions. We are forbidden to covet people, property, or possessions. Follow me here. Let me talk to you about these three things we are forbidden to covet. First of all, we aren't to covet people. We shall not covet our neighbor's wife. Well, if you have one, I don't know why you would want another. (laughs) But the reality of the matter is, is some people are just hard of hearing and slow to learn. I find it, of course, this is after you shall not commit adultery, so intriguing that when a man has trouble in his marriage, he is completely convinced that if he's unfaithful to his wife by finding another woman and breaking his marriage covenant, it will be the solution to his problems. How stupid can a person be? Uh, Some of you have committed adultery in this room. And that's between you and God. I'm not your spouse. I have one wife. I answer to her, and I answer to God. But the reality of the matter is we would not covet someone else's wife if we had a proper relationship with Jesus because the reality is you should be more afraid of Jesus than you are of your spouse. But some of you have a lame relationship with Jesus. In your mind, as long as your spouse doesn't find out, you're okay. But let me tell you what Proverbs 5.21 says. The eyes of the Lord are always watching. The eyes of the Lord are always watching. You know why we aren't to covet other people's property? Because God has placed in our responsibility those things which belong to us. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Work on your own marriage. It's exasperating to hear the complaints and the groaning and the moaning about the status of someone's marriage when you've been talking to them about the same problem for a year, for two years, for five years. There will never be a change in your marriage if there is not change in your marriage. Let me say that again because it's so simple you might miss it. 
There will never be a change in your marriage until there is change in your marriage. One of the most offensive things that you could ever do to your spouse is to never work on your marriage, never work on yourself, never work on your partner. And then when your marriage collapses, all of a sudden you want to get in shape and read 12 books a month. That's so lame and insulting. You should be ashamed of yourself. Every ounce of energy should be dedicated to serving the person that you chose. You chose. You told your mom and your dad, even though it was problematic and you were warned it was going to work because you were going to change them. They had something in them, a spark that you saw. And you were going to make this work. Now you got to own it. Don't look at my wife and go, well, if I had a wife like Joe does, then everything would be fine. No, we have our problems. Amen? You've got your problems. Amen? You work on your marriage, and I'll work on mine. Don't think that the solution to your problems are outside your house. The solution to your problem is God the Holy Spirit living within you who is telling you, mind your own business and work on your own house. First thing out of these three prohibitions is this. You are not to covet people. You are not to covet people. Secondly, you aren't to covet property. That is to say what they own. When it comes to things like this, we see families sometimes argue to the point that they never speak to each other again because of what was left to them by mom. If you don't leave me, we had something recently in our own family yeah, in our own family, that, that happened, and, and, and we had people unfriend us on Facebook, which is so stupid. What does it even mean, Facebook? <laughs> Half of you I blocked. It means nothing, but we had people leave us as friends in our family, step out of our friendship group on our Facebook relationship, whatever in this stupid thing is even called, because of the way the money was allocated when my grandparents died. It wasn't about the relationship. What an insult to my grandparents who spent their life covering the back ends of these people whose back ends weren't being covered by anybody else. But my grandparents sacrificed their time, their health, their energy to love these people in our family the way that nobody else was loving them so that when they passed and went to glory to be with Jesus... The only thing that was concerned was money. And as soon as the money was received, all communication was cut off from our family. It's covetousness. We see people giving up careers because they can't help but steal from their employer. We see people giving up opportunities because they're so busy hamstringing and sabotaging other people to get what they have because they don't have it, that they forfeit the things that they do have. That's what covetous does. It makes you stupid. In 1 Kings chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, but you can make a mark if you'd like. In 1 Kings chapter 21, 
there's a story of King Ahab. And if you have any familiarity with your Bible whatsoever, you know that King Ahab was not a good man, and he was married to a woman named Jezebel whose name lives in infamy. He had more than enough land for himself as the king of Israel. But what really bothered him is a man named Naboth had a vineyard that was beautiful. It was the only vineyard Naboth had. And as a result of this love and passion that Naboth had for the vineyard, he took very good care of it. And and Ahab hated the fact that he didn't own this vineyard that abutted his property. He wanted the vineyard. And it says this literally in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 4, that after he proposed to buy the land, Naboth said, no. It is in the land, it is in the line of my ancestry. It means something to me sentimentally. I do not want to sell it to you. It says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 4, that King Ahab lay down on his bed and turned away his face, and he would not eat food. We see this today. We see this today when grown men don't get what they want and they act like petulant four-year-olds. You know, when parents fail to discipline their kids and their kids think they're going to get what they want in aisle four of public, so they're going to throw themselves down and slam their head against the tile. So the solution that the parents have is, I'm going to leave you at the store, which is a foolhardy effort at discipline. You're not going to leave your kids at the store. But they do it anyway. Because they think that what is going to help their kids grow up successfully and emotionally and psychologically healthy is threatening them to leave them. It's not a good policy. But here we have Ahab acting. The same way that many of the people we know act when they don't get their way. He's so upset that he's not getting this vineyard that he can't eat and he can't sleep. He just lays there pouting. He's the king, for goodness sake. He owns more land than anybody, but he doesn't care about the land he owns. He cares about the land he doesn't own. Well, Jezebel being the Jezebel that she is creates a false narrative, finds two people to exploit and to say that he had blasphemed. So they take Naboth out to the front of the city, and they stone him to death, which was the penalty of blasphemy in Israel at this time. And then she goes to Ahab, and she goes, the land's yours. Gentlemen, if you have a wife like that, start praying. (laughs) Ladies, if you have a husband like that, start praying. You don't want a husband like that. You want a husband that when you're in a situation like that, you want a wife that when you're in a situation like that comes alongside of you, puts their hands on your shoulder and says, honey, we have so much to be grateful for. Let's keep the faith. Let's keep perspective. That's what you want. We aren't to covet people. We aren't to covet property. And we aren't to covet, thirdly, possessions. We aren't to covet possessions. Look at the text again. It says, his wife, that's the people part, his house, and then he kind of 
goes down the line here. His field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is his neighbor's. Maybe the, maybe the vernacular would be his house, his car, his pool, his motorcycle, his boat, whatever. The stuff. You know, we live in South Florida. Everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got debt. But everybody's got stuff. You know, when you're sitting outside and somebody drives by in a $75,000 truck pulling a $150,000 boat, and you go, what does this guy do for a living? He's a fireman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the vernacular church is true. We look at what other people possess, and I'm driving a 2009 F-150, and somebody else drives by in that brand-new Tacoma that's $80,000, and I go, I want the Tacoma. That's the truck I wanted. This is the truck I got. But this is the truck I wanted. The reality of the matter is, friends, to one degree or another, we all have a tendency to covet the things that other people possess. We have to keep this in check. We have to keep this in check because it reveals our dissatisfaction with what we have when we're lusting after those things that we don't have. And we're going to get into that in a little more detail in a moment, but that is the definition of covetousness as we see it in the 10th commandment. Let's go to our second point this morning, which is this. Now that we know the definition of covetousness, what is the antidote? What is the antidote to covetousness? Now for this, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. I'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Comes before 2 Timothy. I feel obligated. Every time there's like a first or second, you got to throw that joke in there. It kind of gets old, but. 1 Timothy chapter 6. When you're there, let me know by saying amen. amen. Read with your eyes, if you would, please, beginning at verse 6. Beginning at verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. A few things worth noting in this text. First, I want you to note that godliness and contentment should work hand in glove. Godliness and contentment go together. 
That's what Paul says. Verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. The more godly we are, the more content we are. Because godliness and contentment are so closely related, they work in tandem. One complements the other and so forth. If our relationship with God is intimate, if our relationship with God is deep, if our relationship with God is healthy, then there isn't anything or anyone that could ever satisfy us like that relationship. It's the first thing that I want you to note. The second thing I want you to note is this. Improper desires lead to trouble. Improper desires lead to trouble. Note what Paul says. He doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. What he says is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The reality of the matter is, is what is said in Ecclesiastes 10.18. Wine satis- uh, bread satisfies man. Wine gladdens his heart. And money solves everything. That's in the scriptures. The reality of the matter is, is if you don't have money, you're not going far. Amen? you got to have money. But the reality of the matter is, is some of us have enough money, but we live as if we have a lot more. We like to pin it on the so-called elite or the 1% that we point our fingers at and say, look at those rich deceived by their riches, but I know a lot of poor people who are deceived by riches too. In their mind, if they just had the money, everything would be fixed. And the reality of the matter is within five years, 90% of the people who win the lottery are broke again because your mentality is sick. It has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. Your mind is wrong on the topic of money and improper desires lead to trouble. So I want to say this finally money isn't the root of evil, it's the love of money that is the root of evil. So, so since that is the case, since God does not say anywhere at any time, If you make money, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, on the contrary. The Word of God, the Bible, says often, work hard, make money. Make sound investments, and if you don't plan, you have nothing to complain about in the day of trouble. We should be planning, we should be working hard, we should be making money, we should have a side hustle. The reality of the matter is, is if you have free time in the course of your week, you're probably not working enough. But what is worse is when you're not working, you're not making sufficient income, and looking at everybody else saying, if I just had what they had, then my life would be better, because that is covetousness. So now you're not only sinning against the Lord by not working, but you're sinning against the Lord by coveting what other people have, most of whom have it because they work. So let me share a few things by way of antidote. First, We should be satisfied with our own lot. We should be satisfied with our own lot. 
Survey your life. Think of what you have. I'm sure that you're going to find reasons for satisfaction in your life. You may want more. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. What I'm saying is right here, right now, today, if you survey your life, I think that you would find that more often than not, our priorities are in the wrong place. But we have many reasons for satisfaction. Don't covet what someone else has when you can be happy in what you have. Don't covet what someone else owns. Be happy with what you own. If you want to own more or if you want to own something else, then work hard for it and go buy it. There's nothing against that. Secondly, beware of materialism, though. <clears throat> beware of materialism. And we live in a society that is extremely materialistic. Extremely materialistic. I always find it funny. When we go to like the outlet mall in Florida City and the Gucci store is packed or the coach store is packed. Like, what are these people in here? Oh, if I just have a coach bag. Listen, this is not just a female thing, by the way. Guys do it too. They wear that fanny thing across the whatever. And it's not my thing, whatever. It's not my deal. It's just not my forte, but some other people do it. Rock it. I'm fine with it. But here's my issue. Are your belongings held better in a coach bag? Hey, hey. Hey, guess who? Guess who's not coveting over here? Yeah, you guys better work that OT, or go to the flea market, get one of those coach bags. The reality of the matter is, there's nothing wrong with quality. Okay, if you go to church at First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge, you probably shouldn't be buying coach bags though. But this is what I'm saying. There's a lot of difference between not possessing something and possessing one of the most expensive options of that something. Are we satisfied with what we have? And if we want something else, nothing, there's no sin in that. There's nothing wrong with that. We can work hard to own nice things. But here's something that I need to caution you with, materialism. There's nothing wrong with owning nice things, quality things. But when those things become the source of satisfaction for you, are you being materialistic? Are you saying to God, you make me happy, but what would make me really happy? We're all guilty of this, friends. To one degree or another, we can all be guilty of this. And again, I want to emphasize to you, I am not saying do not own nice things. What I am saying is there should be a relationship between what you make annually and what you own. And when what we own doesn't reflect well what we make annually, we're suffering from covetousness and materialism. And capitalism feeds right into that. Now, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a communist. Don't read into that. What I'm saying is, is our society is built to convince you that no annual interest and no payments for six months justifies you opening another credit card and spending money you don't have. 
Friends, that's called materialism. And you have to be aware of that. Let me read to you what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. Luke 12, 15. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, the more you own does not mean the better you are. Some people might look at you and say, look at all that they have. And the reality of the matter is, those of us who know people who God has blessed financially and who own a lot, they're not always happier. They're not always happier. In fact, sometimes they're far less happy. Third, we should pray for a healthy and holy perspective. We should pray for a healthy and holy perspective. I think this is important, church, because after all we've said and studied, it might be inferred that we should just sit on our hands and live robotic lives, right? Eat spam. And nothing could be further from the truth. The scriptures don't teach us this. The scriptures teach us hard work and reward. The scriptures teach us planning. The scriptures teach us wise investments. It doesn't necessarily teach us that we should live on a shoestring. Now, if God calls you to live that kind of life, and you're like, I'm going to live on peanut butter and jelly and serve Jesus every minute of every day, then fantastic, do it. But that's not necessarily God's call to everyone. And we know that because in the same text that we read, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says to those who have been blessed by the Lord with riches to give abundantly. God has so decided to bless some people with riches. Now, you're sitting here and going, I wish God would try that blessing with me. Maybe he will. But God doesn't drop money out of the air, and he doesn't just have it sent to your mailbox. God blesses us through our industry. God blesses us through our hard work. I love what the proverb says. Do you see someone who is good at their skill? They will stand before kings and not before obscure men. In other words, if you work hard, your boss will acknowledge it. If you work hard, you'll get that bonus. If you work hard and your boss doesn't acknowledge it and you don't get the bonus, take your experience while you have your job and look for other employment. There is nothing that says you shouldn't look for a better job that gives you better benefits or better pay or is in a better location. You should do all of those things. Whatever serves you and your family, be smart about it and pursue that for success because there is nothing godly about being financially unsuccessful. There's nothing in the Bible that says if you're rich, you'll be godly. There's also nothing in the Bible that says if you're poor, you'll be godly. I know a lot of ungodly poor people. And I know a lot of godly poor people. I know a lot of ungodly people who are well off, rich, houses, boats. 
And I know the other side of that too. The reality of the matter is we should not allow our character and our convictions to be dictated by what we do or do not possess. We should be content before we are covetous. To close, let me say this. We all have much, much more than we need. If we were to go into our homes right now and start to streamline, I think we would find that we have a lot of stuff that we could sell on Pinecrest Marketplace that we could get rid of We could start living a simpler, more disciplined life. Our dollar will go further if our government would stop taking so much of it. (laughs) Our dollar would go further. We could start saving money in case of an emergency. This morning, Stephen's car broke down on the highway, so that's how we started today. He has an emergency fund put away financially, so he's not going to get hit by a credit card bill because he's got an emergency fund put away. Once we have an emergency fund put away, we start saving. Because, I don't know if you know this, there isn't anything that has been told to you that says you're going to die in a month. In all likelihood, everything being considered equal, we're going to live till about 85. That's the average. Can you make it to 85? Some of you are putting your ATM card and thing on. Let me check the balance before I see how much I can get out. Is that because you're in a difficult season of life? Listen, we've all been there, right? When you first get married and you're starting to make things happen and your first kid comes along, you die. This thing, this thing doesn't even talk. This is the most expensive thing I've ever seen in my life. The formula is 25, 30 bucks a can. Diapers. Wow. Kids are expensive. He should know he's got 10. These things cost us money. Sometimes our finances are strained, not because we're covetous, but because that's the season our life is in. Okay? But if you survey your life, aside from the challenges that come season to season, if you survey your life, are you living within your means? And are you living within your means because you're satisfied with the life that God has given you? Or are you outside of your means because your mind and your heart are telling God, I am not satisfied with the life you've given me. I want their life. I can't be happy until I have that life. We've got to work hard. We've got to live in faith. We have to have a strong conviction of contentment in the Lord so that covetousness does not rob us of our joy and our satisfaction in Christ. We have more than we need. My hope and my prayer today is that as we bring the Ten Commandments to a close this morning, that you will review them in your mind and in your heart and find the points of adjustment that are necessary and make the adjustments. 
Make the adjustments so that you can walk in his will and in his way. He can bless you richly how he decides. If he decides to bless you financially, great. If not, he will bless you. I can tell you this. Ephesians chapter 3 says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. I can tell you that this is a thing you can't buy, friends. If God decides to bless you in ways other than financial, you can still be rich. There are rich ways that God decides to bless his people that are unmatched by the bills, by the dollar bills, by the money. So work hard, pay your bills, put your money away, spend wisely. Don't worry about anybody else's life. Work on your own life. And in the midst of all of that, for the love of God, be content. Be content. 